You're listening to the iRacers Lounge podcast, where we discuss everything iRacing in a casual setting. Enjoy. Welcome to the iRacers Lounge. I'm your host, Mike Ellis. iRacers Lounge is a podcast for the iRacer, where we talk all things iRacing in a casual setting. Joining me are the usual characters, Donnie Spiker. Good afternoon, fellas. Welcome. Justin Pearson. Howdy, my friends. Hey, hey, and Mackenzie Stevens. Hey, hey, how's it going? On the show today, the Porsche Super Cup Series is winding down, and one driver may be running away with a championship. We'll see flying fans and junkyard sim rigs, and more glowing reviews of the new SimiCube Active pedals. And remember, you can follow along with us on your PC or mobile device in real time as you listen to the show and see for yourself all the great topics and products we'll discuss by visiting iversuslounge.com and selecting show notes. So let's hope to see you there. jump to topics our first one is world of racing a sim racing experience shop is opening this weekend in pasadena california donnie tell us what you saw about this video you said you might even go yeah you know what? i'm just uh cruising their instagram and we seem to be getting these once a week from various places throughout the throughout the united states i should say but um yeah pasadena is about an hour and 10 minutes from me it's called world of racing and via their Instagram video, it uh, looks like it's in some kind of a, maybe a shopping mall, uh, not shopping mall, like a, like a shopping mall, but it looks like a, some kind of strip mall outside. You walk in and it looks like there's probably six, six, six full size, yeah. uh, triple monitor, uh, uh, setups with, uh, some smaller ones off to the side. So it's called world of racing and it's located on Colorado Avenue and, or Boulevard in Pasadena. Now, those first three uh, nearest the entrance, those are uh, CS, um, CSX or C, uh, I can't remember what it's called, CXC maybe. Uh, you can tell by the uh, motion. Um, you can see like the hydraulic arms um, on the back of the rig that are attached up to the seat. I'm trying to find a website, a website via their Instagram post, but I'm not finding one. That's a lot of money yeah. right there. Right. That's what I was just thinking is, uh, you know, three motion rigs. It looks like the, the three farther ones are non-motion, but big triples. They're like 45, maybe 50 inch. Um, so, yeah, those are nice. Yeah, if I definitely go, I'll, I'll let you guys know, fill the group in and, and report back next week. I wonder if there's any information on how well businesses like these sim racing businesses um do you know survive and thrive yeah it'd be interesting yeah. it's so new i guess the only way you'd know is if it sticks around and it's it's there six months to a year later that's the thing i mean i follow these very closely and we talk about them when they open but i don't see stuff reoccurring it's like i you know i don't see any that are lasting um now there might be exceptions to that uh, sim racing chicago has been open for a few months and seems to be working 
Now, I did look up what I was trying to think of before, guys. It's called cxcsimulations.com. They're based out of Southern California, and they do. I do believe that the rigs they have here are those uh, based on the look of them, uh, or they're similar. And uh, Now, these are pretty cool rigs. We've talked about these a long time ago. It's been a while, but, man, if you're into motion and looking at a d-box system this one might you know this is a different alternative to that because what it's doing is it's putting your your seat almost on a pivot point like a single pivot point and then the shocks are moving the seat around basically hey donnie different you, type of motion if you need some extra cash they're hiring yeah, i saw that it'd be a good retirement gig i would do it so when I click on get a quote, uh, Motion Pro 2 configurator, total cost 69000 Could be a knockoff, though. I could be wrong. But uh, Donnie, maybe you'll go there and report back and tell us what they got. Yeah, it looks like uh, Sunday. Oh, they might be open, actually. I'm reading one of their Instagram posts. But if they're not, if they're opening this weekend, looks like price per experience, it says $39, and that includes two races. So I don't know what that entails, how, how much and, and whatnot. <laughs> Okay, let's move on to Porsche Super Cup Series. Caruso is in full control. He wins the Porsche Esports Super Cup feature at Spa. And as we talked about in the intro, uh, the points lead is looking pretty good for Caruso. Uh, 412 over Zach Campbell at 326. So that's uh, that's a lot. <laughs> that's a bit, almost 100 points. Yeah, looking at the points they get per race, that's almost a race and a half uh, gap he's got on him. Yeah, I didn't get to watch the race, so I'm not going to speak to what happened there. We do have some video, though, uh, below here of the All-Star race that happened just prior. And um, it was a three-way battle between quirkatized Casey Kerwin and Matt Malone. And Matt Malone ends up coming up for, uh, with the win. And... Uh, Real interesting to see, you know, uh, these guys banter back and forth a little bit uh, via the streams and stuff and uh, the broadcast. So pretty cool. Yeah, video is fun to watch. It's hard. Uh, I haven't really talked while driving in the manner they do. I mean, obviously, it's what they do for a hobby and a skill set is be able to commentate where they drive. But I don't know if it'd be distracting or not. Maybe I'll just give it a go. Talk to myself in the in the room here. How about the, the part about, you know, swallowing a microphone? You get that microphone right up in your face like Casey Kerwin has, and you're trying to drive, and I, I'm like, no, <laughs> no. Yeah, it looks like Malone wears a headset. Well, that's smart, I think. I, I, I never understood the external mic while doing sim racing. All right, Justin, tell us about 100% force feedback and motion. Yeah, Damian Morad uh, ran the Indy car at Nordisve, if I pronounce that right. Nordsleaf with the force feedback maxed out. And I, I haven't got a chance to see this video yet. Yeah, so the Indy car is just notoriously rough to begin with, but you throw that thing at 100% and wheel it around a difficult track like the Nordschleife, and this is what happens. It's a. Uh, He's describing it as violent and his heart race is going up and just watching him try to manhandle that beast around. is pretty awesome. It kind of reminds me of the videos I put in our chat only two weeks ago, me doing the kind of the same thing. 
Yeah, I'm curious what kind of, because you don't have motion, Mike. Yours was just, your semi-cube was whipping your butt. I wonder what kind of movement he has underneath him, because he's moving quite a bit in the seat here. Oh, he has D-Box-type actuators on his rig. Okay. Mike, your yeah, arms but you are can moving. See that. Yeah, you can see his arms moving, but you can also see the seat behind him moving uh, as well. And, you know, that would be interesting for me to just try that and see, you know, how much does that mess you up when the seat's moving and you're trying to, you know, manhandle the wheel at the same time? I'm pretty good at manhandling that wheel, I tell you. Uh, I know Morad's a professional driver to a degree, races GT racing, but if you go to like minute or second, 30 second of this video, the wheel is like really whipping back and forth in his hand. And I'm trying to think of the last time I've watched an in-car shot of an Indy car and see that wheel so violent if he wasn't crashing. But it looks like he was just cruising around. So I wonder getting like an, an Indy car guy in there and getting that, what would be the most accurate force feedback that they experience? Well, I remember a couple of years ago, maybe longer, Sage Karam, an Indy car driver, was getting ready for the Indy 500 by doing a lot of IndyCar races on iRacing with the, I think he had the Semi-Cube Ultimate, uh, the, the more most expensive one. And um, he was saying that he was, you know, had everything on 100% for sure. And he was, he would put up videos of him doing the kind of the same thing here. We're sawing at the wheel. Yeah. Yeah. I was just looking back at it. I think he saw it on purpose. He was going down a straightaway. So I think he was just showing the, the actual force of the feedback. Yeah. That, the wheel pushing it back into straight line kind of thing. Yeah. 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 And that's kind of why I, I run it strong too, is uh, when you get out of the groove or you're turning the wheel too much, that force feedback really does put you back on the, onto the rail, so to speak. Mackenzie, how about a flying spectator? Yeah, we have here in the, the iRacing forums, it's Andrea Pagnini posted um, four photos. It's of a, a flying spectator so in the first one you just see a little black dot and then slowly it starts zooming in and they're just floating in the air completely over the grandstands it's kind of funny to see actually about 50 feet up or so yeah at least now we've had this from time to time do you guys think that these are just easter eggs i racing throws in or maybe a mistake they didn't catch either way it's i find no harm in it no harm but i don't think they do it on purpose then we have That's somebody, parts. we had Dale, right? And S S Steve Myers fl floating in the air not too long ago. There was another post recently where the whole crowd was, appeared to be floating uh, because the grandstand below it was missing, below them. Yeah, that'd be weird. That'd take me out of it a little bit. Justin, how about Sim Trader? Yeah, it looks like we got a new little group here. Uh <laughs> It's a sim racing equipment classified website. Uh, sim Trader has been launched by a professional racing driver, David Perel, allowing users li to list products for free. This is actually a brilliant idea. Yeah, we've seen it before. I think uh, Landing Castle and um, Parker Kligerman tried to do this. And it launched uh, spectacularly. I mean, they had a great website and everything, but then I never heard of it again. Yeah, you're right. I remember that one. And come to think of it, when I was listening to Justin here, I was like, I wonder if we had any other ones. And uh, sure enough, you're right. So, you know, the the, the space probably needs a good, reliable um, site like this. So hopefully it could work. 
I mean, I just recently bought my rig at the beginning of the year, and I never heard of anything like this. And I would have entertained the idea because I don't trust like Facebook or Craigslist or anything like that. Yeah, so the, each free listing is displayed on the site for 30 days. Users are able to pay to boost or promote their ad for additional exposure. Uh, there are some several interesting ads, including a Fanatec podium steering wheel BMW signed by ex-DTM champion Bruno Spingler. You guys see any other good deals on there? This is like used equipment kind of thing. I was hoping to see some postings in Canada, but there isn't. Most of them are in the UK or the United States. I mean, here's a nice GSI wheel, uh, just like Donnie's, 850, uh, based out of Colorado. Rustmaster shifter, only 150. Yeah, as long as they're not overcharging, they got to know their value and just be careful what you're you're paying for. And, you know, just like anything else. But a lot of times when things are new like this, people try to get more than what they probably could be getting out of it. Well, these... I, will these kind of websites ever replace eBay and Facebook Marketplace, though? I, I don't know if they will. I mean, you got to get everybody to use them for it to really work. Yeah, I've, I was questioning that, too. Just think about it, because in my Airsoft community, we use a HopUp, which is a a form of this. It's like OfferUp, but it's called HopUp. It's an actual part to Airsoft, but because a lot of sites won't let you sell um, gun-related items, even though Airsoft guns aren't guns. But um, so they had to create a specific site just to do that. And so I'm curious. Yeah, we don't really need it in this space. Like you're saying, Mike, eBay is probably good enough. Yeah, Facebook Marketplace for local sales uh, is often good because then you don't have to ship stuff. Donnie, how about iRacing highlights of the week? Right, so we saw Buddy Matt Malone on here again. I believe he was the very first video, but it's just uh, iRacing's highlights of the week video. Uh, my favorite was number two, were two Formula cars. Looks like they're probably in a practice session of some sort, but started in pit road at a standing start, uh, raced all the way around a circuit and crossed the finish line within a nose cone of each other. So that was my particular favorite, but a lot of open wheel featured in this one, which is always great to see. And then ended up with the GT finish at the end. Yeah. I like the one where the two open wheel cars, I think they are Indy pro F 2000, but I could be wrong uh, for the win at v VIR. And side by side up through those S's, which are flat almost. And I didn't know you could go side by side through there. The Michael Conti Gen 4 at Daytona was fun to see. Uh, I remember for that race, we actually ran three wide quite a bit. Not as spectacular as they do here in this video, but it's just proof that it's possible. You can run three wide at these uh, plate races. Yeah, love these videos. They remind me of different cars and what I'm missing out on. And, you know, I, I ran the sprint car this week. Justin, you were surprised. You're like, you're running what? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I'm trying to branch out a bit and run different stuff because, uh, hey, that's what's fun. NIS track type kind of helps out with that. Last week at Talladega, not a whole lot to practice with. So it gives you opportunity to, to experience something different. All right. I'm going to take this one. Give the IRO1 a life. In the forums, Oscar Kosniski posted that he thinks the IRO1 car should be free to help boost participation. I don't know about this. Uh, you know, I think it's fair that we pay iRacing for their work. Um, this isn't like a, a car that replaced a car or anything like that. It's its own unique thing. 
So I, I don't know if I technically agree that it should be free, but I do like, you know, iRacing's approach with the IndyCar fiasco, you know, hey, they changed the Dallara dash to be the IR01. And I was hopeful. I mean, I was hopeful that we would have more participation in the Dallara dash, but honestly, it's been disappointing. Um, you, you used to be able to get in there and, and have almost a full field every time. And and now if you're not in prime time, you know, you're not going to get a, a full field uh, in lots of cases. So there is a problem with it, but that's just the oval side of it. The road side is what he's really talking about. I mean, it's a ghost town over there. He, uh, he did mention another option that's to keep the car where you have to pay for it, but uh, start a series where it uh, only has tracks that are included from the start so people don't have to buy extra tracks and he's hoping that that would give some more more people running the series i don't know i don't know if iRacing can do anything else about this um i mean that's an idea is run the free road courses only but you know are the guys that actually own the car and are running that road series you know they want to make their own schedule just like every one other series too so there's that part of it it's a great car and you know what I'm always open to run a Dallara dash if I see enough people in there. Um, it's fun. I mean, I think they're at Phoenix this week. Holy cow. I can't tell you, you know, the downforce and the speed on a one mile oval. It's a challenge. I mean, I, I really think everyone should take a moment and try it. it. Doesn't affect your IR or SR. So there's no worries when you race it. All right, McKenzie, how about Finian's camera pack V2? Yeah, so um, Finian, honestly, I don't know how to say that last name, but uh, he, um, uh, just give me a second, the page just jumped to the bottom for some reason. There we go. He, uh, so he's um, updated his uh, camera pack that he's came out with. He says uh, he's putting into almost 400 hours over the years into these cameras. So I guess what it is, is it from what I'm understanding here is it's more for uh, people doing broadcasts that gives them different camera views and stuff. Yeah, but it's a little tricky. He, he, he specifically says he doesn't want to see his cameras being used in any public broadcast uh, stream or anything that gets shown to other people he doesn't allow permission for that he's giving these camera work for free for your own personal use basically and so uh it's a zip file you have to unzip it into the camera folder under my documents iRacing documents and so forth uh and then when you in a in a certain track or whatever they have you know you have di these options for different cameras and I've did this, I, uh, Finian's camera pack V1, uh, when he first put it out, it, it's, it's cool. I mean, he has like broadcast quality cameras, like Fox sports would have where they have the digger cam, you know, where you, the cars run over the top of the camera and, or the drone cam and the drone on a line on a cable that's strung, you know, from one place to another and all these really cool unique camera views so he doesn't want people to use his camera tools but so what's the purpose uh, we could use them ourselves and just check them out 
Yeah, you're looking at your own uh, broadcast or your own replays, I guess. Now, what That's if the way I see it. Because he can't, in theory, sell it to somebody because it's probably iRacing property and he can't make a, a monetary value off it, and that's why he doesn't do it. But, I mean, heck, man, just open it up to people, maybe, uh, and they'll give him credit. Hopefully they give him credit, and it could just uh, get just become popular. Yeah, I'm going to read what he says. He says, quote, feel free to use these cameras and share them around. However, no cameras in this pack are to be used for iRacing broadcasts or broadcast-like streams without my consent unless already given. I am no longer giving permission for this type of usage. So. Uh, must be a reason behind it, but it's also odd at the same time. Usually these community-based uh, things that people create, uh, these apps, whatever that helps out the community, they're just like, hey, you know, I created this, have at it. Right. I tried it. Like I said, you know, if you're, if you're looking at your own review, uh, playbacks and stuff, you know, this might be something for you. Okay, I'm going to take this one. And this is Rowley Wallbanks in the forums. He asked, have you given rotate with velocity, rotate with velocity, a good try? He finds that once you get used to it, it helps you have a sense of where your rear end is going and where on throttle your car will head. And Rowley is right, um, in my opinion. I actually uh, commented on this uh, thread and gave my own settings that I run. Uh, I do run rotate with velocity at 100%. Now what that is, is if the car starts to rotate, your neck will kind of rotate with it and the view rotates with it. And if it rotates too much, then the whole neck twists all the way around kind of thing. It, it's a weird sensation, but it does give you a visual on the screen of the car twisting, so to speak. So you said you do run this? Yeah, so I posted um, in the forums my um, my settings. Now, these settings are in the sim under, uh, you know, where you set up the, all the stuff. Uh, now, these guys in the, the thread were talking about a, something called lock the head to the horizon. But in the sim, they call this roll chassis, okay? But lock the head to the horizon is really the thing that I do that's different than most iRacers. Um, so my settings are roll chassis equal zero. Most iRacers would have roll chassis equal 100. Okay. Um, pitch chassis, I have zero. Most iRacers would have that at 100. Neck motion, zero. Most iRacers would have neck motion at zero. And then finally, rotate with velocity, I put at 100. Well, most iRacers would put that at zero. So I run literally the opposite of what is default. Um, now, all I got to say is if you have triples, you should try this. I might be asking you about those settings before the NIS race tonight. And the easiest way to tell the difference here is get up on some banking, like at Dover or Talladega, uh, because... When you don't have your head locked to the horizon, the whole view uh, is, is rotated, you know, as much as the banking is. It's hard to describe. Now, I want to read a quote out of this thread. I did see somebody post something in here that better described it than I can. I'm going to see if I can find it. Okay, this guy, uh, he said, it's, this is the uh, op, actually, Rowley Wallbank. He says this. For anyone reading this wanting to know what it is, I believe it's related to slip angle 
And as your rear slips to the right, your dash shifts a little to the left. Might be the other way around. But you get a visual cue as to where your rear is heading. People complain about an absence of seat of pants feel. And for me, this feels this helps give that. After a while, your brain just accepts what's happening. It's extreme and an actual spin, but as long as you don't overcook it, you can see how far you're pushing. Yeah, that could work. That actually sounds like a, a good idea. That's what I'm saying. Try it. Turn it on and run a race with it and see what you think. So basically what I'm getting from this is as the rear end slides, your camera almost turns to mimic that it's sliding? No, your head is, is pointed straight locked to the horizon and the car is shifting underneath you almost to the left or the right. You see that dash kind of go to the left, you know, your rear end's coming out. Oh, okay. Okay. I get it. And what he's talking about is it, if you overcook it, like, you know, spin out it, the camera view goes extreme. It's really weird. But if you have it at a hundred percent and you're just, you're not overcooking it, like he says, and you're getting it right on the edge of spinning out or it's getting loose or it's, it's loose. You're like maybe fishtailing through the corner, like, a, you know, trucks at Phoenix, for example, uh, you're, you're totally hanging out the, the rear end. And you can see that visually when you have that setting turned on when otherwise you don't, because everything's locked down visually. Um, now my question, does it, affect you saving the car since the camera's getting all goofy on you when you're spinning no because when it gets to that point it's too late anyway copy but i think it helps me save it because i can i can sense it's about to go by the visual cue that it's giving now would this setting be any good in a dirt sprint car or would you be screwed up with that well interestingly i'm glad you brought that up because in a dirt car, it's extreme uh, because you always have the rear end kicked out, like extremely kicked out, right? You're yeah. on purpose. And so what I find in our triples, when you run at the setting like this, the, the nose cone of the car is on the left screen, actually. It's not even on the center screen. Okay, so I have triples. Imagine, you know, I'm going through the corner and it swings that nose out all clear to the left screen. You know, it's barely on the middle screen at all. And then as I go to the straight, it straightens out and the nose comes back to the center of the screen, to the center screen. But when I go into the corner, the nose shifts way over to the left screen. But that's another test. Get on a dirt oval after you turn on this setting. Okay. Connie, you get dumpster fire number, I think we're at five, seven, eight, nine. Yeah, so something I think we as a group have kind of agreed and maybe thought was happening. Uh, but could motorsport games be for sale? Nathan Brone on Twitter asks, with NASCAR and IndyCar contracts as their best assets, could motorsport games be primed to be sold? And in his tweet, he says motorsport games can't pay the bills, change CEOs, and is valued at just $20 million, with its best assets being NASCAR and IndyCar. And I don't know where you get the value, but we'll uh, just go off his word and we'll, we'll just for conjecture, we'll say that is that we haven't researched the value of motorsports games, but if it is in fact only worth $20 million, um, the only value I see there is the license they potentially hold with NASCAR, IndyCar, 
um, the British Touring Car Championship and the 24 Hours of Le Mans. Other than that, where's their value other than the license they possess? That's it. I mean, that's their revenue. So, but I mean, this guy basically says, you know, those are the best assets, those game contracts. Um, these series were or are major partners with iRacing, uh, who, by the way, is owner, who he's referring to, um, you know, the original owner of iRacing, who's the billionaire, um, John. Uh, his worth is worth $4 billion. He throws that out like, well, John could easily afford to buy this company. And that's true. But is that a good, is that what John wants? I don't know. So I'm curious now if iRacing were to buy out motorsports games, what I'm reading here is they get obviously the NASCAR license fully. They'll get IndyCar back. They get Le Mans back. They get the British touring car, which we don't have on the service and WEC, which we quasi have WC on the service. We have the cars and, and tracks and whatnot. We run our own kind of WC schedule. So it only uplifts iRacing even more to be able to get that uh, license and that that content and bring Lamar back to what we would probably consider the superior sim. That's like perfect case scenario for iRacing if they do want to purchase this. And tw- tw- $20 million almost seems like a no-brainer. If that's the value, if that's the true value, then that's a no-brainer. Um, where do I sign up to throw out a couple of dollars their way to help them do it? But... Um, yeah, if that's the real value, and that's all it's going to take. But motorsports games will probably hold out and say they're worth more and and whatnot. But as is iRacing ready for this? Does I mean, does Monster Games? That's who would put out the games for NASCAR and IndyCar. Who's under the iRacing umbrella? I mean, are they ready for this? Um, it's interesting too, because our factor two is owned by Motorsports Games, and how does that play into it? Being in the, another competing sim. Right, because it's taking away market share for that sim away, you know, even more if you're handing all these licenses over to iRacing, you know, in full. Yeah, maybe they take on some of the the R Factor employees and coders and developers, and you know, continue to enhance iRacing. So, who is this guy tweeting this? Um. And you can't read his article. So he's apparently a journalist for the IndyStar.com, which is a newspaper in Indianapolis. And, uh, yeah, he wants a buck to read his article. And, uh, yeah, we weren't going to give him his, our personal information for a buck. Yeah, so hopefully coming from a journalist, most of the stuff's been vetted, and it's it's mostly accurate. So 20, 20 million, I mean, heck, that doesn't seem like a whole lot with what you might possibly get in return. Yeah, I mean, this guy, I'm looking at the replies, and I think this one says a lot. Oren Laskin said, better to wait for MSG to fold and renegotiate those contracts. MSG way overpaid, and no one wants to take it over. And that's probably a more likely outcome is this wait for the contracts to expire. We're going to go dormant for a couple of years with the IndyCar title, and it'll make its uh, triumphant return once they come back. Justin. We all remember our first. Yeah, Oreo tweeted here, can't wait to file my first protest on iRacing. At worst, he wrecked himself off the nose, and at best, it's a racing incident slash netcode. I see the incidents here. It just looks like hard racing, and number one spun out on the outside. 
and uh, click uh, the link and look at the other videos. Uh, it's not cooperating with me on the Twitter part. Oh, really? So he posted four videos uh, in, in uh, succession here. The first one was just the first incident, which led to anger throughout the race uh, and more incidents. So which which one's Oreo? Is he the one car or 17 car? 17. And so as these things progress, the one car ends up at the last video under yellow, passing several cars as they're going on to pit road to to come in at full speed and wreck the the other guy in question super hard and took himself out too yikes one video he's just waiting on track waiting for him to come around right he misses him uh there was another one where he takes a another stab at trying to run into him and misses and but at the end, the last video, yeah, he uh, waited till they were under caution and then just totally drilled him. I finally got the videos to work. What's the longest band you've seen on iRacing? Like for permanent? Something? Oh, really? Like for some? Well, sure. Like I think there's permanently banned people. Like, do you have to do this multiple times or will they just decide on one shot? I don't. I think. I think you're not going to get permanently banned the first offense. I don't think so. Uh, I think you, if you did the re thing, you know, repeatedly over and over, yeah, three or four times, they probably would. So this is obviously protestable and uh, a justifiable protest. I personally haven't protested any any incident, and I've only been on. I'm going on three years now this month, but um, I also never had anybody come viciously after me like this to to even get me to do it. But what about you guys? Yeah, I mean, if you race long enough, you, this is going to happen to you. Uh, it's happened to me, and I've, I've I haven't been the guy going after somebody. I've been the guy that somebody coming at you know somebody's coming after me, and it's scary because you're you're trying to avoid them, and you're trying you're watching the mirror, and you see them coming, so you try to hide behind the other car, and yeah, it's not fun. I haven't now, got this yet. I, I haven't. I want to say out loud that not only the guy who egregiously, you know, wrecked this guy under caution should be protested, but it's also a uh, penalty to, you know, publicly call out people. And I don't know if there's any names involved here, but I don't know about posting, you know, public video on Twitter about this. That might be a protest too. So you've been around obviously longer, Mike, than all of us put together, but why can't you publicly do this? It's in the sporting code. It's, I mean, like if you like there, there was a forum post, I think this week or last week, I didn't put it in the script, but somebody goes in there and, and calls out somebody's name. This guy needs to be banned, blah, 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 blah. And then everyone tells him in the thread, look, dude, you're going to get banned if you don't delete this thread. I'm trying to figure out the reasoning. I get it. I, I can think of some reasons as to why you wouldn't do that. Um, but I'm finding a hard time having a problem with this guy showing these clips of videos and I don't know. I understand it in a way, but I think it keeps drivers on a shorter leash. I think it's better for the sport. It's kind of like that thing at work where one person does something stupid, then 12 people around him get in trouble, the shotgun effect. Um, maybe it would have a more, you know, effect on somebody if they were publicly shamed to some degree for what they do. But I don't know. 
The other thing I like about the video thread of the four videos, it shows the first video was a net code. You know, it was a racing incident, as Donnie called it, if anything. But that led to these other incidents because the guy was butthurt. He thought he got dumped. And it just shows the, the don't think you're, you got dumped until you see the replay, guys, because it things are sometimes not what they seem. That so is I'm very reading, true. I'm reading through the comments here. And I'm wondering if this isn't the first time this guy's done that, because there's a few guys in here saying that they know what his name is and they they've seen him do it before. So that's the thing. I mean, you, you can scroll down and see the guy's name. So that's what I mean. That is somehow some way against the sporting code. So, you know, and, and, and so uh, be careful how you talk about this stuff. iRacing doesn't like you to call out people you know that kind of thing it's against the, the code okay so uh he puts his name in there i see what you're saying here mike because the name does come up during the comments but i'm curious if a third party then says oh i know who that is and then puts the name in is the original yeah. poster in trouble i mean he can't be he didn't identify i mean can you see the guy's name on the above the door you know in the videos and you can identify that way i mean i don't you don't see the relative or you can see the name and the relative but you could see it maybe on the car paint if you're clever yeah yeah so i i don't know i mean it's it's a kind of a gray area so i would tell our listeners stay out of it but uh it's interesting to see how it progressed now the other thing that's interesting is look at how many views these videos have had uh the first one is that uh where where is it uh i don't see it anymore oh, Sixty four thousand views here it is the other one other ones are 5600 5600 5600 and 5800 for the last one yeah and it looks like it's coming from the one truck as well so it's i don't know just being a grown adult isn't the hardest thing in the world sometimes and like mike's saying you never know who's at fault for these until you actually watch the replay so just be a grown adult and take care of yourself like one. McKenzie, how about eNASCAR and McConey Setup Shop? Yeah, so uh, McConey Setup Shop and eNASCAR are partnered through 2024. So McConey Setup Shop is proud to announce a partnership with NASCAR's eSports-specific division eNASCAR in a multi-year deal that titles McConey Setup Shop as the official setup shop of eNASCAR. Um, it's a partner of the eNASCAR Coca-Cola iRacing Series, the College iRacing Series, and a partner of NASCAR. Uh, it extends through January 2025. Um, all future eNASCAR broadcast of the Coca-Cola iRacing Series and the College Series will see incorporation from McConey Setup Shop as the presenting sponsor. It'll have ad reads, in-car cameras, and commercials. And then, um, so it's with iRacing and the eNASCAR. Yeah, and then the 36 of Brandon uh, McKissick is going to carry the McConey Setup Shop as his primary sponsor for the event May 2nd at Las Vegas. So, wow. And then he's also doing the C-Fix trucks. Um, that's a lot of money. You know, when I, when I saw this story, we had a chat in the team and I was like, show me the money because in my mind, I can't think of a setup shop that makes enough revenue to pay for these kind of sponsorships. Um, just the Coke sponsorship alone uh, is a lot of money. 
but you put on top of that the overall Coca-Cola iRacing sponsorship and all the different things they meant that you just went through and listed, in addition to signing directly with NASCAR, um, gaming and esports as well, and paying them some kind of fee, I'm sure. Man, there's a lot of money spent here, and I just don't see the revenue behind it. So is this guy, Jeff McConey, ponying up his own money for this? That's the only explanation that I can come up with. And he's been very, very active in the community uh, in sponsorship for several years now. In fact, um, our sister podcast, uh, The Aftermath, uh, had him as a sponsor briefly. So what do you think? How much revenue is coming into these uh, these setup shops? I can't imagine that uh, he has that kind of throughput. You know, depending on what they're charging, but the overhead... I mean, depending on whose time is being used to create these setups and the overhead that that entails. But uh, other than that, it's just a file, just a file you're selling somebody. So the actual physical property that you're, you're selling to somebody is nothing. So it's all about the, the development of, of the actual setup. So whatever that time's worth and how much he's selling this product for, I can, yeah, I'm curious on how much they could actually be a sponsor NASCAR for well, let's think about it for a minute. Like, so the the setup shops are, it's saturated. There's McConey, there's VRS, you know, there's Ryko, there's, um, I, I can't even think of, there's probably at least three or four more uh, main ones. So let's say there's eight of them. And how many people are paying for sets on a regular basis? And then how much are they paying? You know, if you just kind of do the math in your head, yeah, I don't see how how he affords all this. So yeah, it would be interesting to me to find out how it's funded. But hey, uh, you know, it's great when we have sim companies. You know, even if it is a setup shop, uh, you know, investing back into the sport, pretty cool. Bonnie, how about World of Outlaws Butt Kicker Late Model Pro Series qualifying begins May first. Yeah, qualifying for the 2023 World of Outlaws Butt Kicker Late Model Series uh, begins in May. Butt Kicker has returned for the second consecutive year to back iRacing's premier World of Outlaws Dirt Late Model Series with a $25,000 purse on the line. Looks like week one starts May 1st, like Mike mentioned, at Lincoln Speedway, and then follows it weekly with Volusia, Port Royal, Cedar Lake, Lucas Oil, and ending on June 5th at the Dirt Track at Charlotte. Oh, six short weeks. That's it. Now, this is just to qualify for the, the Pro Series for the, the World of Outlaws, um, which are always good. We follow that here on the show. Um, but, yeah, 25. I think we brought this up last time, uh, their purse compared to, like, the Coke purse. But still, 25000 I'm not sure. I mean, they may be putting the man hours the Coke drivers are putting in for their setups as well for these, but it's quite um, – quite diverse with the 25,000 for this one and 300,000 for the Coke series. What do you like watching better? The late models or the sprint car? I like the car sprint cars. It all, they race similar. Yeah. Like the sprint car is harder for me to drive than the late model. So I kind of slightly understand what's happening in the late model. The sprint cars, I'm just watching super fast cars go around in circles really fast. I've hardly have any idea what I'm watching, but I just enjoy it. All right, Justin, how about the E-Racer Firecracker 400? 
Yeah, we got a tweet here from eraser.gg. Dale Jr., Kyle Busch, and many more have raced for nearly 100000 in purse money at eraser. Your opportunity returns this July, the Firecracker 400. And he's got a video here. Yeah, just a teaser video, basically. Have any but of us ever tried? 87 cars. Have any of us ever tried to enter it? No, I haven't. Um, I don't think anyone on our team has, no. But, boy, uh, if you run the 87s and you're good at this kind of track, which I am, yeah, I, maybe I should try it. I mean, I'm sure it's like a qualifying format where are they going to take the top 40, 43 qualifiers? Or are they going to have qualifying races leading up to it? Because, I mean, heck, why not give it a go? I'm not sure what the entry fee would be, but, I mean, it would be something. How different are the 87s versus the Cup car? Uh, a, lot. a lot. A lot. This is the old Daytona, too. It's bumpy. So when you're leading in these cars, you ha you can spin out on your own because you lose uh, or you have more of the air. So it's tricky to be up front if you're not paying attention. It's funny you say that because I had a period last year for maybe six months to nine months where I did just that. I would get out front at Talladega and spin out every freaking time. It's so hard. So I found the dates for the Firecracker 400. So the prelims are July 12th and 13th. Uh, qualifying the 18th and 19th. They get the Firecracker 200 July 24th, and then the Firecracker 400 July 26th. Let's do it. I'd be interested in this. You need to run some races. Now, don't forget, on the weekends, you can always find these races in uh, hosted Chris McGuire, uh, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday night. Yeah, I'm going to follow right, this, I'll... and I'm going to shoot for it. We'll see. Yeah, maybe you talk me into it. We'll see. Uh, 2023 Nürburgring 24 Hours uh, is coming up, and we want to mention this race at the ring. And uh, the dates are going to be May 12th through the 14th. So we got a couple weeks out. Um, normal time slots as usual. There was a lot of discussion in the forums about the car selection, but the answer has been, don't forget, this is a very German race. In a German track, we want German cars. And, and so that's the answer to not having such a diverse set of cars to choose from. Pretty cool. Uh, yeah, I, you know, I love the track. I just don't, you know, I work on the weekends, so it doesn't really work for me unless my team's involved and, Nobody's interested but me, so yeah, we won't be running this. What a great track, though. Donnie, how about the Speedway 500? Yeah, the Major Series 2023, 11th running of the Speedway 500. It is their version of this year's Indianapolis 500, but they are going to run the IR01, the Delara IR01. It will be split up in two regions, Pacific and Atlantic. They will broadcast... For the top two splits in both regions, so it'd be four broadcasts. Uh, it's an unlimited splits. Expect over 300 drivers. Uh, Week-long pre-qualifying, 33-car grids, bump qualifying, uh, fast six shootout, and uh, podium coins. They put in the, the forums for winning. So when you win these majors events in our teammate Tom, he won, I believe, the modified race they had a few months back. I hope I'm not wrong in that. But they did give – he won the, the coin, so he actually – Got the coin in person, showed it to us in the group. So it's pretty cool. It's a challenge coin the size of whatever, uh, a silver dollar, a little bit bigger. 
um, has a logo in the major series on it as well. So um, good organization, good group of guys. So if you're interested in running 500 miles around Indy in the Delara IR01, this is uh, not a bad bet. And if you're new to it, you at least when I signed up for Daytona, or I should say the Predator, the beginning of the season, when you sign up, you get a free race or credits towards a race. I ended up using it for that. So if you're new, you want to get into it, I believe you may get a free credit for the first race. So they're also giving away custom Speedway 500 uh, milk bottles for top split winners. So you get like a milk bottle. That That'd is be cool. pretty cool. That, that is cool. Trophy. And look, no Indy 500 this year, and it sucks, guys. It really does. I mean, we've had the Indy 500 in iRacing uh, for a long time, and now we don't. So if you normally run the Indy 500, go help this guy. Go run with these guys in the majors. Um, go run this car. Like I said, we need to embrace this car, and we need to keep it going. The IR01 is a great car, especially on ovals. I've been having a blast in the Delara Dash, but um, yeah, I don't know if I'm going to run this or not. It, timing, it doesn't really work for me, but yeah. Podcast housekeeping, leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform to make it easier for more listeners to find us. Mention the podcast to your fellow drivers so they don't miss out. We do appreciate it. Join the dis Discord for the discussion throughout the week. And check the website for the show note. We are in regular rotation at the Performance Motorsports Network. Donnie, fantasy. All right. This past week, the NASCAR Cup Series was at Talladega. And for the Talladega League results, Shane7272 was our uh, overall winner. Followed by Gujo 24X and dollars and cents, Louder Racing and Cletus 545. Number one to Fosi looks like Tom finished 10th. And that's it for the top 15 I see in there. Um, overall, uh, Mason Racing is still in the lead, and our top to Fosi overall is Stephen Lou Allen in 12th place. Funny thing about this race was I did not set a lineup nor pick a pickums. They were carryovers from Martinsville, and I managed to finish in 21st place. So it wasn't overall a, a huge setback. Yeah, we sucked at Talladega as far as fantasy um, as a group, I think. So I had Chris Buescher and Brad Kozlowski in my lineup. I switched them out, grabbed two different ones they finished in the top 10 so that messed me up then briscoe spun out on pit road went one or two laps down so i swapped him out for another driver then he ended up getting a top 10 finish uh all right and what do you think about dover who do we like at dover i don't know i just hope it we can go a week in this series without having to complain about something it's getting annoying at this point, but uh, I don't know. I don't know who I'm picking yet. I usually like to wait till uh, qualifying, but it doesn't look like we're going to get any of that with the uh, rain hitting that Delaware area. So I'm rooting for old Josh Berry again, uh, getting that 48 ride. It's, this is a little short tracker kind of, I think it will benefit him. Yeah. It sucks. He missed Martinsville. I was hoping that was going to be a shot. 
I think Harvick will be one to watch for this race. Living large or strapped for cash, it's all good at Metro Ford Chicago. Metro Ford delivers to you. Whether you're looking for a new or used car, we have over 160 vehicles in stock. Good credit, no credit, doesn't matter. We offer easy financing and guaranteed credit approval. Visit eMetroFord.com or call the owner, Patrick Milligan, 773-983-3166. Metro Ford of Chicago, serving Chicagoland and beyond for over 35 Five years. Will this computer run iRacing? Not now. Hardware software presented by Metro Ford. Let's talk SemiCube. Active pedal first impressions. Justin. Yeah, we got Dan Suzuki and Will Ford from Boosted Media give, gave their first impressions of the SemiCube Active Pedals, and they got a couple videos here. This this looks awesome, Mike. It really is next-generation product when it comes down to it. I, I did appreciate Dan Suzuki's video explaining the design in layman terms. When you look at the arm behind the pedal there's a a thing in the middle that the wire is hooked to well that's the load cell that's the little sensor that determines exactly how much pressure you're pushing and that you know feeds into the computer um other than that uh the arm is hooked to a a swivel much like uh, the diy pedals we saw last week which turns quickly by the motor um, so it's a pretty simple design, but again, it's still uh, really future, futuristic because of the ability to have on-the-fly quick adjustments to the pedal. Hey, I'm jumping from a Ferrari GT3 to a Toyota GR86. The pedals are totally different. And so if you have Heiskenveld, how would you go from car to car? And if you you would have to go change out the elastomers, the little rubber pieces and take out the hard ones and put in the soft ones and screw it back down and this and that. Well, guess what? This is all software based. So you just push a freaking button on the computer and it switches it just like that. No elastomers. It is nice to see them start getting mounted to rigs though. So I can get over my, my fear of these things being so gigantic, but it is, it is good to see these people enjoying them. Granted, it's going to be hard not to enjoy them when they're $6,000 or $2,000 a piece. So how good are they? Uh, both reviewers said on the video that they were given the brake pedal um, to keep, but the throttle pedal um, they could keep for five weeks and return it. But if they decide to keep the throttle permanently, they would have to pay for the throttle with a nice little discount. And both Dan and Will pretty much indicated in these videos, they intend to pay for the, 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 the throttle to keep these babies. Now, these aren't the full reviews uh, videos. These are first impression only, uh, which these things deserve multiple videos. I mean, the, the first impression is neat, uh, you know, fit and finish, build quality, outstanding software. I, I, you know, they say so many good things about the software. All right, McKenzie, why did Razer rip off the Stream Deck? Yeah, um, 
Senpai reviews the Razer Controller X. So uh, at the start of the video, he goes on to say that um, he found a link on, I believe it was Newegg. And uh, this wasn't supposed to be released yet when he bought it. So he bought it anyways, and then he puts out a tweet, and then right away the, the link got taken down. So he, he got it before it was actually released. But um, yeah, he says... He, he likes the way it's built. It's all, it goes magnetic together. He, uh, he basically compares it to a stream deck because he says that's pretty much what it is. Um, he doesn't like the software on it. He thinks it's kind of hard to use. But he said at the same time with a stream deck, you pretty much set it up once and you're done. Uh, so basically at the end, he goes on to say that he probably wouldn't buy it simply because the the software and he'd just go for a stream deck over this. Yeah. Like you said, he liked the physical presentation of it. Um, the fit and finish and that kind of thing. And he liked the buttons better than the stream deck as far as how they push and that kind of thing. But yeah, lots of bad software. Uh, he describes having to, uh, a thing about there's a rotate feature where you can rotate the buttons like 90 degrees and like you can even have a button to to rotate them 90 degrees but but if you want to rotate it back you have to go into the software and you have to literally reprogram the button just to rotate it back like it's got all these really weird quirks okay any of you guys have the stream deck or negative yeah, I know Bobby has one. Um, he he seems to like it. Um, I just have never felt a need yet that I need this. I don't stream either, so maybe that's it. Yeah, I'm in your boat, Mike. All right, I'll take this one. The F-Core wheel will be released April 28th. That's tomorrow, guys. This is uh, Cube Control's new F-Core formula wheel. It's their budget wheel. Um, and so... That'll be the time you can order if you're interested in ordering this. This is a non-screen formula wheel, um, similar to the wheel I have, it's, which is called the F-Pro. This is called the F-Core, and apparently it's a little bit uh, cheaper, um, but still a very nice unit. Bonnie, slip angle shaker system review. So we've had this uh, system on a few times before in the past, the slick, slick, slip angle uh, shaker system. But Carl Gosling reviews a slick slip angle. Man, cannot say that slip angle base shaker. And I remember in the past that I was in, probably most interested in this one if I were to go to these transducers. Um, overall, he he liked it. I'm putting Carl Gosling up towards the top of my review. Uh, videos to watch now but um and in the end he says it would be good he recommends uh, the product if you're looking for that four independent um transducers but if you're wanting something more for your seat he recommends obviously something else because this doesn't bolt to your seat it goes to the four corners of your rig and it's supposed to act like each independent each independent wheel as it um shakes independently and it's also got that spring uh stand kind of thing where your whole rig sits on this spring stand thing to kind of keep the vibrations independent. Yeah. I'm still curious how that's going to work on carpet or if I need to put like a wood platform underneath it, if I decide to go with it. Well, you can see Carl definitely has it on carpet. If you go to the 24 se 24 minute 
uh, mark. He's showing it. Uh, it's pushing down on the carpet quite a bit, so I would imagine you'd want some kind of platform there uh, for sure. Would you rather have this or four butt kickers? Well, the question is, how do you mount the butt kickers? Um, yeah, for this, it's not a bad price for the four systems. Um, I remember usually almost every review we've we've watched on this one, everybody seems to like it. But yeah, I think this would be. I mean, if heck, if you can mount four butt kickers and, but th don't you need four base or um, amps for each butt kicker or one amp yeah, per butt kicker? Or a channel. Yeah. A channel. So, you know, like if you have a left, right stereo amp, that'll run too. Right. So with this one, it, it runs off a one, four channel amp. So you only have to worry about mounting and affixing. And it comes with a four channel sound card as well. What Carl likes about it is the kit. It has everything you need. Okay, and he, and Carl's like, yeah, you could part this out and buy everything individually, but some of the pieces are, are custom, like the the springs I mentioned, the the feet that sits below the transducer that has a little spring in it. That's going to be hard to you know just buy off the shelf. I mean, so uh, it is a neat kit. Now, I the other thing about it is it makes your rig wider, like a good six inches on each side, wider than it normally would be. So uh, that's the only downside to this to this design for me. But if you had a D-box type motion or something like that, it would be the same way. He does also mention that uh, this is a lot quieter than anything else he's used to. Yeah, remember what a butt kicker is. It's a, a metal thing rotating in a cylinder to make it, the whole thing just rattle. I mean, it, it it's pretty violent the way a butt kicker works. And this is a little different. These are actual speaker transducers on a flat metal piece of, you know, uh, metal. So what's the cost here? I want to say he said they were five hundred. Four ninety nine. So one hundred twenty five a tire. My other concern for me would be if I had this. How would I integrate it with my caster wheels, my my big old five-inch caster wheels I like where I roll it around my office? Could I put the caster wheels underneath the little isolator mount kits? See, I'm about, I got caster wheels on mine. I'm about ready to take them off and put the legs. Really? Yeah, because when I get in and out, it still kind of swivels just a bit. Yeah, I mean it. It shifts a little sometimes because it, you know, the wheels are locked, but they still rotate. Could maybe get some chocks or blocks for it so it doesn't move the wheel when you're you're in there. That's true. I like the idea of it rolling because I can clean underneath it. Because my first cockpit was on the ground and it sat there for years, and the the cookie crumbles and you know the. I lost an M and M, and it's down there, you know, for for however long, and yeah, it gets messy. Yeah, I've got my ASR six on four furniture pads on each corner, so when I need to do that, Mike, or maybe work on a part, I just pull it out. And I mean, the thing's heavy: three monitors, computer, heavy ass semi cube. I mean, my aluminum pedals down here. I just pull it out, just drag it across this uh, this carpet, and get working on what I need to. That's another thing. My wheels are on carpet, so then I got a divot, and it's hard to adjust and get it like to move it a millimeter or two. It's hard to do that because it's stuck in that rut. 
Yeah, that would be a problem. Hey, Justin, how about the Mecca Evo SQ Sim Racing Shifter? Yeah, we got um, this uh, Sim Circuit or Sim Circuit. Yeah, Circuit reviews uh, Mecca Sequential Shifter. And does have you has anybody seen this video? I haven't seen it yet. Yeah, yeah. watch. Yeah, sorry, Mike. Go ahead. Well, I was going to say, yeah. I mean, he likes it, except it doesn't have that mechanical feel of a shifter. It just pulls back and forward. Yeah, I haven't I haven't spoken to Lawrence lately um, about his shifter, but um, I like the looks of the shifter. I like the the mechanic look to it. Uh, but you're right, Mike. I was a little disappointed in that aspect of it. You want that tactile feel of you're actually manipulating something with your with your lever down there. Uh, but I do like the look of it, so I'm hoping once I decide on a shifter, if uh, Lawrence gets building his, that it gets something, something similar to this, but with his aluminum aesthetic to it. I like how tall it is. I mean, I like the, he, the size of it is good. I like how the electronics are separate from the device. Uh, they're in a small box, and you run a little cable down, and he's like, I'm going to mount the little electronic box down underneath, and nobody will see it. And I, I like that. You know, why have that up as part of it, you know? Now, do you guys have shifters or do you use paddles? Say that again? Do you guys use uh, shifters or paddles on your wheel? I have um, a sequential. Well, I have the Fanatec sequential to H pattern. Gotcha. I got the Hezconveld, and it does awesome. It's just plain Jane. It doesn't look as cool as the like the one on the screen does it feel like you're shifting a car though when you use it oh yeah it's got the catch and everything to it so mine is a sequential um aologs is the name of it and it's from russia and um it's short but i kind of like it short it's all metal and it really does feel like you're shifting a car i mean it's got that good click and you know it really feels like you're shoving it into gear kind of thing so i love it i, I can't recommend it enough you uh you can adjust the stiffness on the shifter from 2 kg to 7 kg he did call out um the mounting sucks on this thing uh it doesn't line up with anything the 80 20 you you pretty much need to have some kind of custom uh, parts and stuff to, to figure out where to mount this thing. And he, he was saying he had to order some extra pieces and parts to, to figure out a way to mount it. Yeah. I was thinking the same thing. He just needs a thick piece of, uh, steel and then mount that steel to the kind of like of a mouse pad on the side of your 8020, but I would think a little thicker and then mount that plate to the rig and then mount the shifter to the plate can mount anything to anything. Kenzie, how about the Junkyard Sim Rig Challenge Shopping Cart Edition? Yeah, so the Sim Pit, he uh, he finds a sh shopping cart outside his complex, and uh, he modifies it and turns it into a Sim Rig, and it's it's actually pretty cool looking. I don't know how sturdy it would really be, but it looks pretty cool. Now I'm seeing a lot of flex. <laughs> so he's sitting in the actual cart but backwards and then 
the part that would sit normally underneath the cart, like the pipes and stuff, the body of it, he's cut off and turned into his wheel stand slash pedal tray. And it actually works out pretty good the way he's got it. Now he had to cut this thing apart and, and have a bracket to hold, you know, a couple pipes together and he used zip ties and different things to make it work. But man, it worked. I don't know if we actually see him get in it. So I'd like to see what it would look like to get in. True story. When you see the picture of him in it at the bottom here that uh, Brian put on the script, uh, yeah, it looks like a little bit of a tight fit. Like you'd have to like step into it kind of thing. At five fifty-seven, it shows him getting in. So yeah, he's like you're basically exactly how you described it. I like the idea, junkyard sim rig challenge. So what would be a new challenge for uh, the sim pit to try for the next one besides the shopping cart? I don't know. More I was thinking about, it, I'm thinking it's not a terrible idea for somebody who needs something. And if they're a little handy and they wanted to put some personality into it, this isn't the worst idea in the world. Um, you see a lot of uh, two by four or wood construction. I mean, heck, I don't know. Not the worst thing I've seen, but for what else? I, I have no idea. We saw before a few weeks ago, the Ikea sim rig challenge, like a guy bought, some piece of furniture from Ikea and turned it into a sim rig. I mean, I think it's kind of interesting. I kind of relate, you know, when I first got into sim racing, I mean, my first setup was janky. I had a six foot plastic card table that I already had triple monitors and the Logitech pedals and wheel. And I cut a half moon, half circle in the card table with a jigsaw and I put the monitors around that hole. Then I slid my, my little center post stand right in it. And that's how I started. I'm thinking of my son in the other room, what he's on and he's just on some wood structure and a, and a bucket seat and he's got his uh, Logitech mounted to his desk, but it is what it is. I don't know if that'd be any, any worse than this, or this would be better. It'd be interesting. My first setup was the Logitech D27 clamped to a glass desk, if you can imagine. I'm like, I'm going to, and I've ripped the wheel off the desk several times because, you know, I just, I'm crazy like that. And uh, I was thinking, boy, one of these days I'm going to shatter this thing. Donnie, how about Arc on sale? It's finally here. The Samsung Odyssey Arc 55 inch LED curve 4K UHD gaming monitor is up for sale for $3,000 on Best Buy. Um, and you get it in black. This is the monitor that you can rotate in a vertical fashion. And it curves. Um, it's a curved monitor, obviously. So, yeah, that's the one you can rotate to play up and down with or have the monitor rotate in a 90-degree angle. Yep, it's on sale for $3,000 currently at uh, Best Buy. Actually, 2300 on sale. I apologize. You're right. 2300 But man, can you imagine doing triples with these? Triple 55s? It's about seven. Mm -hmm. But that's a lot of money. That would be. I wonder what would one look like. I think teammate Tony runs on a triple or an ultra wide setup when he's not in VR. But this doesn't look ultra wide. I'm sure it is, but it just doesn't look like it. So here's the thing. This is a monitor. This is not a television. Okay. 
a 55 inch gaming monitor so that's why it's twenty three hundred dollars okay now could you do the same thing with 55 inch tvs i guess you could i mean the tv specs these days are similar right i mean what do you think i'm assuming you get some crazy response time on this monitor versus a tv i mean a lot of these tvs are one millisecond or something like that so tvs don't are... sound too bad my first setup was on a, a TV, uh, a sharp Roku TV, and I didn't really notice anything crazy about the TV setup, but that was only one single monitor, though, or TV. I think the big thing between this and a TV is this has a 165 hertz refresh rate, and most 4K TVs only have 60. That'd be a big difference, though. What if you took, you see how this stands up vertically, like he was saying? What if you had three or more of the three or five of these set up vertically to make a triple setup uh, and you'd have this crazy vertical fov where you could actually see the dash you know you would have to align it too where your eyeballs are literally in the middle of the screen and you would be able to see like down into the dash and stuff it'd be cool i bet you someone will mod a asus bezel kit for it i'm looking at the the USB and the HDMI hub, and it can connect four different uh, devices. I'm trying to see what that 12th one is. A one connect, uh, two USB 2.0 ports, and the USB port as well, LAN port. So you can hook this thing up. That's not a, so I'm assuming it would be a smart TV at this point. Oh, it's a gaming monitor. Never mind. What am I thinking? Yeah, it's kind of neat. The, 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 uh, electronics are in a separate box like you say with all the, the plugs on on it and i like that that's separate where you can kind of stash it away what a beauty okay i'll take this one i got an email from a uh, listener button box feedback is jeremy morrow from uh, sm-racingproducts.com he said, hello, this is Jeremy Morrow. We greatly appreciate you guys discussing our button box on episode 0375, Natural AI. We listened to what you had to say and made some changes. The newest version of our box, currently live on our website, is 35 millimeters thinner, slightly above a 40% reduction. We updated our website to include a description of each of the switches and functions, they're commonly used for in iRacing, so there's no more guessing. We also changed the finish of the faceplate to have a carbon fiber look while retaining the custom tech. Thank you, and feel free to share. Yeah, I'm looking at them right now on their site. Their site is sm-racingproducts.com. And it looks like, I'm assuming I'm looking at the changes because the box looks a lot thinner than I remember. It's actually slightly thinner than, than my box. It almost looks like he has either this is a textured box that he's using or he's used some kind of grip tape to go around it to give it a textured look. And then he's also applied that um, carbon fiber uh, wrap as well. $99.99. Yeah. And he also sells uh, a Thrustmaster TH8A shifter gate for $6.99. So check him out, guys. Justin, how about Track Titan? Yeah, Mike, Track Titan offers a subscription-based automated insights and educational content for sim racing. And it looks like 
Oh, this is pretty neat. I'm interested in this. Well, you have to register. It's an app, and it works for PC or console, it says. And you can get started for free. Um, so how it works, it says start improving in less than two minutes. Uh, Track Titan seamlessly records your in-game data as you drive. It analyzes. We will instantly show where and why you are losing time. And then you can learn by high-quality educational content helps you get to the next level. So I don't know a lot of information about this. This was advertised to me. And um, yeah, I was hoping I'd mention it and maybe a listener would try it and tell us what you think. Yeah, it's offered a, a set of course uh, F122, 21, and 20. So is that mainly for console base? Is a well, set of course say PC above? Yeah, I don't know. If if it's not iRacing, then I'm probably not interested. Yeah, sets works for PC and console, and they have the the games listed below. Um, yeah, I'm not sure if I'm sure some of our listeners dabble in some other sims, but yeah, if it's doesn't have anything iRacing related, it'd be hard for us to give a good, really any good feedback. Mackenzie, the Camus C5 review. Yeah, this is a review from the Car Doc. Um, he reviews the the Camus C5, and he uh, he really likes it. He says uh, says it gives him very good feedback. He uh, one big thing he mentioned was because it doesn't have the big base behind it. He said you can get that screen really close to your wheel if you wanted to. Um, he shows at the end of the video he uses it for drifting, and he says it uh. It comes back to center really nicely, so it's really good for that. I don't know if he actually had anything bad to say about it at all. He Shut did off say the tiny uh, paddles that we forgot about last time. The shifting yeah, he, paddles. Yeah, he also did say this is a prototype right now too, so it's not the full release either. So he said, right. So I think what he had to do was do some setup stuff and change some settings in game switching between games but i think that's pretty much the only thing bad he said about it so is the motor providing torque itself within the wheel yeah there, there, it's like a a, a a wheel rotating inside the the rim of the wheel itself uh, there it's crazy design huh that's interesting i know they came out with that um that that base a few months maybe six months ago and I haven't really heard much about it since. Um, a traditional uh, direct drive base. And uh, yeah, so I'm curious. Yeah. yeah. So I'm curious how it goes. I remember that one had a little bit of problems with potentially catching fire. But um, yeah, I'm curious how this goes. This could be a, just like those active uh, pedals from SemiCube. Um, even though this is much different, much different um, a level, but it could be introducing something new to the to the community. More opportunity, I think. Well, will other manufacturers copy the design? You know, that's the one key question. The other thing that blows me away every time on this is 250 bucks for a direct drive wheel with five Newton meters of torque that can be as high as seven at peak. Um, that's a, that's a crazy to think about, 250 bucks. You know, and like I said before on this, if you have a need to be portable or uh, do eye racing, you know, while you travel or something, man, this, this is a beauty. You could put this in a tie in your suitcase.
right, let's move on to results. Let's finish up Talladega Friday Open. P21 for me. Not a bad race. I was running fourth on a restart with nine to go. The leader jumped the restart. The second guy took off. He decided to stop because the leader stopped. But when he did and he got back on it, he spun out and spun his car hard right into the wall. Of course, I had went to his left to miss the wreck and ended up with a black flag for passing on the inside. So I want to stop for a second here. And, and I, I asked you guys in the chat when I showed you the video, Justin, I mean, you said there was nothing I could do there. I mean, what would I do differently to not get that black flag? You would have to hit the car. <laughs> Pretty much. I have to drive into him, literally. I can't pass him to the left, so I got to run into him. That was your I would have stopped. I mean, I could have stopped, like hard stopped, but then I would have got ran into from behind. So anyway, I don't know if, if the restart rules can be adjusted somehow in that kind of scenario to not screw the guy in fourth. Um, I, don't, I don't know what could be changed, to be honest. Like... Maybe if the guy and if you're on the front row and 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 it senses that you don't go when the green goes, like the people are allowed to pass to the left, you know, for the first two seconds without a penalty or something like they they should be able to program that in, you know. I still understand why it seems like they've complicated life somehow. Just we have a restart zone. Go, I guess it avoids people from protesting other people if they try to handle it themselves within the, within the sim. But I mean, it's not that hard of a concept. The leader controls, you know, the pace. He controls the restart in the zone and you take off. But it seems to be uh, nothing but problems. I didn't hear about any problems last night at uh, NIS Dover, but I mean, they got to fix it. Okay, moving on, Tony Rochette, P36. Everyone thought I was crazy running a race 30 hours after having surgery on my left wrist for carpal tunnel. Was feeling good. Four laps in, I moved up to the high side, just in time for some wrecking that took me out. Greg Hectus got wrecked out. Donnie, P22. Yeah, um, no, I don't think this is mine. I think somebody might have typed on mine, but I'll read it. It was P22, ran good, caught up in crap at the end with a pack of lap cars that were not considerate with five laps to go. Um, that's not mine. Somebody else wrote on, on my name, but whoever's that I is. That was David. That might have been David's. Sound like him? Well, David, Friday Open. He ran P22, ran good, caught up in crap at the end with a pack of lap cars that were not considerate with five laps to go. All right, Justin, P24. Yeah, Mike, I started good. I uh, started fourth, first half, went to play in a while with you. Yeah, we were riding in the front pack, and green flag pit stops came. I nailed my pit stop, came out, got a little too excited, sped. After that, went two laps down, got a lucky dog to get one lap down. But then after that, everybody was wrecking in front of me. I just couldn't catch a break. Do over, please. Ouch. All right, and McKenzie, P19. Yeah, so to, to start off the race, for some reason when I was loading, loading iRacing onto the VR, it wasn't centering. So uh, I ended up not being able to qualify trying to get that figured out. And uh, so I started in the back I, uh, on lap four. I got spun, ended up going one lap down, fixing some damage. 
um, around lap 30, I got the lucky dog, but made a huge rookie mistake. And um, instead of taking my uh, my wave around and getting that lap back, I followed everyone into the pits and got a black flag for entering a closed pit. So I ended up going three laps down instead of being on the lead lap. So that really sucked. I mean, it tells you right on the screen that you're the lucky dog candidate, right? Yeah, I, I don't know what I was thinking. I For some reason, I figured I'd just go in the pits and then take the the wave around after i don't know i just my my mind kind of just shut off and i didn't really think and yeah so that was a big screw up yeah don't beat yourself here all right moving on to sunday open tony rochette p14 survived till the end where it just got railroaded on a green white checker tom dryling p19 Got a black flag from a restart infraction and never got a yellow to get my lap back. Bummer. On to Dover. Donnie, P16. Yeah, I, I ran that race with Tony. He finished 14th, I was 16th. I can't honestly remember what the heck happened other than um, losing the draft a couple times and having to work the way back up. But we only had five cautions for 15 laps for our race at uh, for Talladega, but yeah, uneventful. I'll say as disappointed for sure. Uh, after uh, my Wednesday race, I thought Sunday for sure. Sunday morning was it. Car felt great. I felt great. Just uh, sometimes circumstances don't work. Hey, Justin, P35. Yeah, Mike, it, it started off well again. Uh, qualifying, I got that down. Uh, I got shuffled to about 10th place. I was the last car in the pack, and I was just chilling, riding 30 five laps into the run second group's catching us they got a little bigger run straighter line bigger line and we're running too wide and for whatever reason that guy on that lead pack just took his run and ran it right to the right it'd be my right rear i mean hit it hit me right where the taillight would be <laughs> i smashed the wall i was i was so astonished i just left team speak and <laughs> went and watched tv Nothing you could do, you know, if you get ran over from behind, huh? Yeah. All right. David was wrecked out by a late block. No luck this week. All right. Uh, Sunday fixed. Tom wrecked near the end. Me, I DNF. I was actually in the front pack at the beginning. I got knocked out into the grass and fell into the second pack. It stayed green until lap 79 where I restarted ninth. A lap later, they all wrecked in a huge pileup. Justin, P1. Yeah, um, this is kind of unexpected. Uh, if you could notice from my last two results, uh, I started fit 13th, uh, really didn't do much. It was just kind of a normal race, kind of just stayed out of trouble mid-pack. Uh, then it came down to a green-white checkered and I was 10th, I believe. Yeah, 10th. And you came online and jumped in, our, jumped in my race and you started spotting. And I got to thank you, Mike. I, you led me to a win. Uh, I listened to your calls and I picked the right lanes, made the right moves, and I made the final pass on turn four on the outside. Yeah, that was a blast to uh, spot you to the win. It's not the first time I've done that for teammates um, at a restrictor plate race. I've done it with several of our teammates, actually. And it's so neat to have it, to get it done with you. Um, and I, I feel like I had something to do with it because 
I was telling you what lanes were coming and stuff, and you're so busy in the moment that you have no idea what's going on. And so you just blindly listen to what I say. I say, stay high, stay high, stay high. And you do, and then boom, you're in the right lane. And then all of a sudden you're in position. And then all of a sudden you freaking win the race. And I can't tell you how excited I get when I'm spotting somebody to a restrictor plate win. It's like, I won the race. I mean, that's how I feel afterwards. I was like, it's the same feeling uh, as if I was the driver. I mean, it, and so it was great working with you, Justin, and and uh, yeah, what a blast! I, and, and it was so neat that you finally got a win after all the struggles we had for the last seven days of Talladega week. Um, finally, somebody got it. Yeah, I mean, on that first clip, you're talking about being busy and not what's going on. If you wouldn't have called that high line, I wouldn't have got that run. I never even knew I had an opening or a hole. I would have just rode where I was at, and that kind of opened it up. And I, I kind of like that spot. And I would love for everybody on the team to friend me so I can spot you the right way and learn just how to do that. I think it's really interesting. Was that your, was that your first time with Mike as a spotter? Yeah. Yeah, it's something different the first time he hops in your session and starts. He gets pretty excited. Oh, yeah. I loved it. It got me fired up. I want to spot for other people now. So friend me. It is fun. Yeah. Um, to, to spot. You got to have the right camera angle, of course. And uh, if you guys want to see the video of uh, Justin's win, we put it up on the Twitter at Tifosi Racing. There's four videos that walk through that final restart. Uh, the last one. Uh, your attempted burnout was a little uh, rookie, I guess I'll call it. And, you know, the first win was at Bristol Dirt, right? And yes. so you didn't really get a burnout there, and you didn't really get donuts. And then I was hoping you'd do donuts this time, but you didn't get the donuts done. So it's funny. On Bristol Dirt, I was so nervous. I didn't want to do a donut and get an X. So I just pulled her straight in the pits and this one, oh my. So I, I've seen them, I've seen it done in NASCAR on TV where they put the bumper on the wall and light them up. So I, I sat there and I'm like, it's not going, it's not burning. I was like, oh, I got to dump the clutch. <laughs> so that's why it looked kind of funny. Well done. So second win of the year. And then uh, McKenzie, I, I told you pressure's on now. You know, you and Justin started at the same time. And so he's won twice, though, McKenzie. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I got to step it up, and I got to get a win here soon. Hopefully, hopefully I can run well at Dover and get one. That'd be nice. All right, let's talk Dover. Tony Rochette uh, wins the Open P19. Well, started fifth and started and stayed in that spot till a lap car couldn't figure out where he wanted to go, and he chose the same direction I was going, which resulted in a 40-second meatball. Got it fixed and just plucked away rest of the race four laps down. Uh, my race, P3. I actually started 14th and methodically worked my way forward to run as high as P3. I think only two cars passed me the whole night, but I was even able to pass them back. So I wasn't getting passed. Um, it was great. I wasn't in a top split or anything. Uh, we had a lot of entries. But man, I felt good to run top five, top three. I Track position is big at Dover. I mean, there was no way I was getting to the lead even though I was third because that's how big the track position was. 
Tom Dryling, P5, started 14th, was running up front with Greg most of the race, got crashed on lap 125, was able to repair the car and work my way back to fifth. I'll take a top five after getting that much damage. Donnie, P9. Yeah, so I started roughly P9 or 10, I can't remember. Um, early on in the race, I had to uh, basically almost come to a stop on the track for a perpendicular car that there was no caution for, so I lost all my momentum. But it didn't matter. The car felt great this week. I was able to, we had a 67 uh, green lap run here at the beginning. Uh, I was able to pass cars on the outside, work my way up. Um, a lot of cars pitted early. A lot of cars didn't know how to run that uh, track. They're losing their right front. Uh, but as soon as I pitted, got back to green or um, full speed, caution came out. I was two or three laps down. Ultimately, I was three laps down. I ended up working my way through it with strategic wave rounds, finished P9, but super excited for Sunday. That car feels good. Uh, my driving style feels good here. So looking forward to a 200 lap green flag race on Sunday morning. All right, Justin, P30. Yeah, I, I started P25. Mike never got farther than the top 20. It was a rough race. I just need to learn how to drive Dover. You know, I got to, I keep forgetting. I took a two-year break. I started in 2020 during COVID, raced a year, then took a two-year break, and I'm running these tracks for the first time again on a, on a on a rig. So it just takes a while to learn them. Yeah, you you know you just got to figure out where to get back on the gas. You know you got to get off of it, get into that corner, let it drop down to the bottom, and then just throttle up and uh, right, roll that bottom basically at Dover. And, and like you said, we have a great car this week, so uh, hopefully you'll uh, turn it around. I ran Thursday Open earlier today. I was uh, car number 35 in the top split. And I mean top split. There were pros in there like Matt Busa and others with super high I rating. Uh, I started 20th, probably marched up to 7th, then I fell back to 21st before blowing a right front tire on lap 70. So I pitted under green. The caution, of course, came out a few laps later, like seven laps later. I'm two laps down. I end up taking a wave around. Uh, ran really, really hard for the lucky dog next 20 laps, but didn't get it. That was a heck of a race. Me and this other guy were marching through the field um, around lead lappers, you know, fighting for it. Um, I could never get to him, though. Uh, I took another wave around uh, with 77 to go back onto the lead lap. Then I drove up to seventh before the next caution, uh, restarting for the first green-white checker uh, on, uh, uh, and ended up finishing ninth. So ninth and top split. Wow. Uh, last night I looked for my top three. I had 146 championship points. And then um, finishing ninth in top split today gave me 182 points. So almost 40 points more for a ninth over a third just because of what split I'm in. So a good points week. Uh, last I looked, I was third in points. Um, I'm catching the guys in first and second. Tom is running fourth. And I feel good about, you know, running for the points this year after having a win at Martinsville. Um, this great points day with a ninth and top split. I was telling the guys, I think this 182 points for ninth is the most points I've made this year. 
it's even more than my win. So like David talks about a lot, because he, he's in top split a lot, it means something to run top 10 in, in uh, top split. Uh, after today's race, I was on cloud nine. I, I feel really confident. I feel cocky. It was fun. I was racing Matt Busa side by side, door to door for a long time today. Uh, see how I stack up against these guys. And I was, I was stacking up. Good job, Mike. So Mike, you're actually leading division three right now. I am. How about that? I was afraid to look. <laughs> Tom is number two. And I believe I'm 12th or 13th, but I will not catch you guys. So I, t I said in the chat that Tom is going to be my competition. I mean, and it's interesting having a teammate run against you for the championship. But, you know, when me and Tom are in the same race, he is the guy to beat. All right, let's move on to other racing I ran this week. Indy Pro F2000 at the Nürburgring Nordschleife. I wrecked out going up the hill on lap one, if you know what I'm talking about. You, you want to stay in that throttle as you go up the hill because if you blip it at all, you lose so much momentum because you're going uphill. And you have to turn it to the left in this kink on the hill. And if you're not careful, you run off and wreck. And that's what I did. Uh, then I ran pickup cup at Phoenix P4. Raced my butt off trying to get to P3 but couldn't do it. Uh, this car and track combination is one of the best experiences on iRacing, bar none. Pickup cup at Phoenix, like I said before, the, the rear end is just hung out in the corners. You gotta hang on, it is a blast. And I ran hosted Chris McGuire, Daytona prototype at Michigan's, uh, wrecked out, then 87th at Talladega. Started in the back, like 34th. Uh, finished p4 we were four wide across the line for the finish uh they were like three wide in front of me i was kind of in the back and i just kind of made a hole and just shoved it in there but it wasn't enough i was too late i was fourth i think next was the toyota gr86 at spa i started ninth finished fourth then gen 4 at dover pop split yikes started ninth took the lead on lap 45 due to a different tire strategies. I got dumped with 27 to go, got ran over from behind, restarted uh, 16th, ended up finishing P8. Then sprint car at North Wilkesboro, Tuesday night for the SOF race uh, that Nick Niebon has been organizing. Uh, there were two splits. I ended up in the bottom split, thank you. Uh, started 11th out of 18, got up as high as P4 and uh, got back to fifth and then i went to pass the guy on the outside and he he dogged me into the wall and i ended up upside down but that's probably the best i've run in that car when i got up to fourth uh, before i got wrecked there's something about that track too north wilkesboro i mean i won uh, winter series in the 87 there as well spiker how about gen four at dover yeah so i had top split is uh in my uh, gen four race at dover not as mean of a top split that you had but i ended up finishing p10 started off a uh, monday night and uh, dover week uh, i liked it i enjoyed it um i didn't see as many uh crazies as i thought i would with being able to control the throttle off the corner but it was fun i'm still enjoying this car i know we talk about it every week but um yeah so uh plugging away got a few more weeks left with it uh then i jumped in the tour modified i think over the weekend i ran maybe two laps wrecked 
Um, this was my fault, um, completely my fault. I basically was trying to pass on the inside of car. I got pushed up into, or I pushed up into him that bounced me off to the inside wall wreck. But I like the modified so far. I've only ran two races. I ran one SK and one tour and I like it. I'm going to keep going with it. Um, it's just fun. It's just fun to try new things. Um, something I've always wanted to do. So I'm going to keep going with the modifieds. Hey, I'm McKenzie B fix P nine. Yeah, so I've, I've been running a couple B-Fixed, just trying to work on my license. Um, first one, I started ninth. Uh, quickly learned that you need to save tires pretty hard at Dover. So uh, I was, uh, I fell back pretty hard. Um, was able to catch a caution around three quarters of the way through the race. Got a new set of tires, and then I ended up working my ba way back up to ninth. So. Even after wearing the tires right down, I still lucked out with people wrecking and stuff. Then, uh, then I ran another another one. Uh, I started 12th in this one, but I I learned from the last one to be able to save tires, so I, I ran much better. Um, this one we had an early caution, but other than that, it ran green the whole time, so it didn't take a tire change at all. Um, I got through a through an early wreck, moved up to six from 12th and uh, just kept picking guys off because they ran their tires out and I didn't and ended up P3. So that was a pretty good finish uh, for my second time running Dover. It's done. Okay, let's jump to final thoughts. Donnie Spiker. Uh, not much this week. Like I mentioned, running the, the, the modifieds a little bit. Um, hopefully run Sunday morning at Dover. Hopefully that week that goes good. Um, other than that, uh, just plugging away. Installed a fan system to my rig this week. Uh, not a wind sim like you got, Mike, but just an independent fan system I can turn off and on uh, when I need it. I got a tube blowing on my neck and then a tube mounted near my wheelbase that blows onto my legs when, when I'm racing. So that's it for that. But other than that, uh, hopefully some good racing next week. Right. Very good. Justin Pearson, final thoughts? Uh, just trying to learn Dover. Uh, I've It's kind of... It's kind of a good thing. I've been so bad at Dover. It's forced me to set up, mess with the setup of my car. So I'm learning a lot. I was always a tim intimidated by it. So it's actually bettered my car. So I enjoy that. But uh, I'll probably miss the podcast next week. Uh, the family I work for uh, just bought another three Napas near Indianapolis. So I got to work them for a week. All right. Well, have a great trip. Um, congratulations on the second win. Uh, Mackenzie Stevens, final thought. Yeah. Um, those two B fixed. I ran at Dover. I, I had a lot of fun running Dover. I, I really liked that track. Uh, it is tough to drive when you don't really know how to drive it at first, but once you figure it out, it's, I, I, I enjoyed it a lot. So hopefully I can get a good finish on a NIS on Friday. I know the, no, the cup car is going to be a bit different than the Xfinity car, but I'm sure I'll be able to figure it out. All right. Very good. My final thoughts, man, it's pretty cool to hear I'm leading the points of division three. It's not the first time I've led the points, but this deep in the season, man, and it feels good. I mean, I'm hitting on all cylinders. I feel, I feel like I can win almost at any track. Now I'm kind of getting cocky like that. But after winning at Martinsville and running so good at Dover, I mean, I went into Wednesday night at Dover saying, you know what, I don't think I can win, but I can run top five. I feel like I got a top five in me. And I did, you know, and I top fived it. 
then I top tinned it and top split, which is worth even more. And yeah, so feeling confident and cocky for sure. Uh, yeah, looking forward to next week. And hey, we'll see you on the track later. Thank you for listening to the iRacers Lounge podcast. Make sure you go subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Google Play, Facebook, and Twitter. See you on the track.